Now is the earth a dreary place, a troubled place, a weary place. Peace has hidden her lovely face and turned in tears away. Those words were written by American poet Alfred Joyce Kilmer around the time of World War I. And yet they could just as readily be a description of the situation on the ground when the prophet Isaiah penned our scripture for today. Judah was a dreary place, a troubled place. The armies of her enemy were mustered and ready to attack. The people were willing to do almost anything save turn to the Lord. The prophet lived and wrote in distressing times and dreadful times characterized by gloom and anguish and by distress and thick darkness. It wasn't a literal darkness. We covered that last week. The darkness in the land of Judah is a metaphor for life apart from God, a spiritual night caused by rebellion, caused by sin, hard hearts, rejection of the Lord. The people have turned their backs on their God and so sentenced themselves to wandering blindly, repeatedly running into the trouble that they themselves have caused. I don't know if we can get a real appreciation for that sort of darkness, that sort of lostness, that sort of wandering. In truth, we probably don't want a real appreciation of that. We tried to hang around in Isaiah 8 for as long as we could to get a sense, to get a feel for that hopelessness. It's in the grip of this thick darkness, this chaos, this distress, this unbelief that Isaiah looks forward what we know now to be a period of some 700 years and proffers a message of hope. He prophesies, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former times he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shined. This light in the distance that Isaiah sees and announces is in fact Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, Turn over to Matthew, if you would. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to be looking quickly at verses 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 and 16. This is the account of the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, It it happens uh, following his temptation in the wilderness. So Matthew 4. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them 
a light has dawned. Matthew teaches here that Jesus is the light of whom Isaiah spoke. But it's not only Matthew who attests to this. We have John's Gospel as well. In the very first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then, of course, we have the words of Jesus himself in John's Gospel, chapter 8, in verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world who has come to show us that it is no longer necessary for anyone to remain in, to walk in the dark. Have you ever tried to walk in the dark? I was in the sanctuary one night a few weeks ago when I uh, went to turn off the lights at the back and failed to turn on any lights at the front. And it was at that point that I realized what an obstacle course we've created here with all these chairs spread around so randomly distributed and what should have been a short few second journey became a long exercise in hoping and groping and trying not to bash my shin into something. We know what it's like to walk in the dark, don't we? Literally. Walking in the dark spiritually is very similar. Apart from God, spiritually blind, left on our own, unseen dangers lurk. Obstacles are obscured. Progress is slow. And without some light, we surely will not find our way. Jesus came as a light to save humanity from having to walk in the dark, having to live in the dark, and having to die in the dark. He said, whoever believes in me, John chapter 12, verses 44 to 46, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Our natural state, the natural state of humanity, is one of darkness. It's, it's a separation from God. And it has at least two facets to it. In one sense, darkness um, amounts to simple human ignorance. We have a A phrase for those who don't know something, who lack knowledge of something. We say, they're in the dark. Sometimes uh, we're in the dark. Sometimes we like to be in the dark. Sometimes we purposely keep people in the dark. It's just ignorance. People don't know. And that sense of darkness for the Jewish mind, hearing Jesus' words, they surely would have attributed that to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, a, a, a land that had been primarily occupied by non-Jewish people by this time, who would have been Gentiles, who they thought were darkened in their mind. But see, this isn't just a simple exercise of Jew or Gentile. There were Jews who were darkened in their minds as well. They just didn't know. When Jesus' day, when they confronted Him, He confronted them and called them sons of the devil. Jesus came to reveal 
to reacquaint fallen humanity with who God really is, to connect us, to understand again what God is like. So there's a darkness that is ignorance, and there's a second sense of the darkness that Jesus came to deliver us from, and that is sin. It's not ignorance. It's not knowing better. It's evil, willful blindness. The darkness is in us. We are born with it. It is exactly why you do the things you know you shouldn't do. And why you don't do the things you know you should. It's a selfish bent. We all have it. It's it's what keeps us from, from having a satisfying relationship with God. This is why Jesus by the, is the way to the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This is why Jesus is the way to the Father. Because our sin separates us from God and we need a way to get to Him. Our sin separates us from God and it always has us moving away from Him. Have you noticed that's what sin does? It moves you away from the Lord. And the consequence of our sin, well, the Bible says it's death. It separates us from God. It ensures that we will be eternally separated from God. But by doing what none of us could ever do, by living perfectly according to the ways of God, and then submitting himself to the punishment of death that sin, but not he, deserved. Jesus made peace with God on our behalf. The debt of sin was paid by the sacrificial blood of Christ. So the good news is that in Jesus Christ, we do not have to remain in the darkness. We do not have to remain captive to our sin and its consequences. We have a way out from under the sin that is oppressing us. We are invited into a relationship with the living God. And in Jesus, we are acceptable to that God who when He looks on us does not see our wretched record of sin, but sees the perfect record of His Son. At Christmas, we rejoice that the light has come to save humanity from our greatest and humanly incurable problem. Paul wrote about this in the first chapter of his letter to the Colossians. That he, Jesus, has delivered us from the dark domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We don't have to stay in the dark. We don't have to be owned by the dark. In Christ, the light has come and dispels the darkness. Now, you might be wondering, reasonable 
observant people would, and that's the sort of people that you are, you might be wondering, if the light has come, why is it still so doggone dark? Well, let me give you three reasons. One, it is still dark. It is still a dark world because while the light is available, many choose not to avail themselves of it. What happened when Jesus came some 2,000 years ago is still happening today. John 1.11 says He came to His own and His own people received Him not. He came to His own. He came to the people that He had made and they would not receive Him. Beloved, the Creator was and is regularly snubbed by His creation. And Jesus tells us why in John chapter 3, verse 19. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Sin predisposes us to embrace lies, to love what is corrupt. We are dazzled by the darkness, lured by it. Many still love the darkness more than the light, and so they choose to remain in it. And as we choose to remain in the darkness, we perpetuate the conditions of Isaiah chapter 8. We have a people who are hungry, who are finding no relief, who are angry and finding no comfort, who look to heaven with rage and seek remedy on earth, but find nothing there to console their souls. To choose light is to drive off the darkness, but to choose darkness is to forfeit the light. And many are still choosing darkness. And I would be a pretty poor preacher if I didn't ask, which one are you choosing? A second reason for the prevalent darkness in our world today may have, probably does have, something to do with those who profess to receive the light or to have received the light. So both the Apostle John and uh, Paul write that it is not enough for us simply to have the light or to see the light, even just to receive it for ourselves, but we are supposed to walk in it. We're supposed to be walking in this light. The, in other words, the gift of the light is not just for us. It's not just, hey, I got mine and that's good enough. The gift of the light to us is also for others. And ultimately, it's for God. It's for His glory. We are to live in ways that call attention to Him. Live in ways that bring the honor to Him, not to ourselves. And we do this when we carry the light of life, when we carry His light. And we shine that light of Jesus with our lives so people can see the difference that it makes in us. That we are noticeably different and not of the world. And people then would desire that light and want to glorify God themselves. But if you and I don't do this as a matter of course, then understand the light's not getting through. Why is it so dark? In part, it's so dark because we're not carrying the light. We're not walking in the light as believers the way that we're supposed to. So you see, the problem with darkness in our world has nothing to do with the source of light. 
But it's not an incapable, incompetent, impotent God who can't seem to get the light through the darkness. That, that is not the problem. It has nothing to do with the source of light. It has everything to do with this fact. Many people want to live apart from God's light. In other words, they want to live off the grid. They want to live off of God's grid. And then, secondly, it has to do with these dead-ended transmission lines that are supposed to be moving the light out into the dark world, but actually the light only comes into our heart or it only comes into our home. And we never choose to carry it any further. And so the world remains a dark place. And there's a third reason why it's still a dark world. And that is simply because the time has not yet come for evil to be banished. That time is coming. The Scriptures promise it. Rob prayed about it. There will be a day. There will be a day, the Scripture says, when there's a new heaven, when there's a new earth, where there is a city that has no need of the sun or the moon to shine, for the Lamb, Jesus, will be its lamp. An eternity with no night. <laughs> a time when there will be no darkness. There will come a day, but that is not today. That time is not yet. You and I are living in the kingdom inaugurated in the first coming of Christ that's going to be eternally established at His return. And what that means is that until Jesus comes back, until our enemy, the devil, is fully and finally subdued, we will be contending with darkness in one form or another. But take heart, Christian. The darkness will not prevail. The darkness cannot prevail. The darkness has its way only for a moment. God has promised. And God keeps His promises. And that's why the message of Advent is a celebration of hope that light has and will overcome the darkness. The triumph of hope is reflected in Kilmer's poem, of which I read only an excerpt at the start of this message, and now I will read it in its entirety. Led by a star, a golden star, the youngest star, and olden star. Here the kings and the shepherds are, a-kneeling on the ground. What did they come to the inn to see? God in the highest, and this is He, a baby asleep on His mother's knee, and with her kisses crowned. Now is the earth a dreary place, a troubled place, a weary place, peace, has hidden her lovely face and turned in tears away. Yet the sun through the war cloud sees babies asleep on their mother's knees while there are love and home and these there shall be Christmas Day. No matter how bleak it gets in this world, there will always be Christmas Day. Because of that first one, some 2,000 years ago, when on a dark and seeming ordinary night, in a little town called Bethlehem, a different sun 
broke through a cosmic war cloud and brought with him light enough for all who live in the shadow of death that whoever would receive him need not remain in the grip of darkness, neither presently nor eternally, but would become children of God and have the light of life. Pray with me. Our Father, we are so heartened by this message of hope, of light in a dark world, of the light that has come. And we are so grateful to you, through your Spirit, for showing us this light. This light which we have received. Help us to carry it faithfully. Help us to walk in it. Help us to do our part, Lord. To dispel the darkness around us by the power that you place within us. We think in these moments of those who go through this season alone and without you. who work so hard simply to get by, to eke out a living, who find themselves in the conditions of Isaiah chapter 8, and we pray that their eyes, their hearts, and their ears would be open to you and that you, by your grace and mercy, would reveal yourself to them. Life is far too short for any of us to be living without its true purpose or meaning. And you are the source of meaning. And you are the one who gives us purpose. Forgive us, Father, for those moments in our lives where we are overcome by darkness. Where we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by evil, knowing that your word tells us not to be overwhelmed or overcome by evil. But instead to overcome evil with good. May that, Lord, be our prayer and desire as we move forward this day into a new year that has new challenges, but also new hopes. We rest in you. You, Father, are our source of hope and peace and joy and love. And we love you. We thank you that you loved us so much that you've made a way for us to be together forever. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you.